Well, it's nice to be back this morning, so I'll start with good morning. Yeah, I heard you had a, a Cracker Jack preacher last Sunday. Is that true? How'd it go? You survived. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I was talking to Thor, so I understand there was more than just one change thrown at you, but that's, that's the way it goes. I was, I was, this morning, I was thinking about how different church services are in different cultures. I, you know, I was a missionary for many years among the Quechua people, so it's Highland Indian people, and, and uh, so in other words, church started whenever they got there. So, and because some of them would have to walk an hour, back then nobody had cars, the service was three to four hours long. Now there's several young people over here that are thinking, that'd be really cool. Yeah, let's do it. Three to four hours, because man, if you're going to walk there an hour, you're not going home right away. And another thing they did was, when you stood up to prayer, that's what got me going, because you never pray while you're seated. I have no idea. And you never read God's word while you're seated. You always stand up for that. So um, different things. But the most interesting thing for you, which we might try one Sunday, is every family, every Sunday, sings a special number. So you'll be thinking about what song you might want to sing. <laughs> and yes, some of them sing just as good as you do. So we had one guy, I always called him Billy Goat Gruff, because he sounded like a Billy Goat when he was singing, but his face would light up and he'd sing. And so let's... Uh, Let's read first scripture, and then I'll have a word of prayer for me before we start. So I'm going to be preaching this morning from Genesis chapter 13, verses 5 through 18. Some of you might think, wow, you know, that guy carries a big black Bible. Well, I carry a big black Bible because it's got big black letters inside, and I, it's the right size for putting on a pulpit. So 13, 5 through 18, and uh, it's a story of Abram and Lot. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please. Let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. 
Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you <clears throat> for the opportunity to teach your word this morning. Lord, help me to always remember what a privilege it is to be allowed to do this. Lord, I thank you for a voice to speak. I thank you for a mind to understand. And Lord God, I pray this morning that the message would honor you, you would be glorified, and that lives would be changed as we look at this story and apply it to our own lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's an interesting thing, preaching. Now, preaching has, uh, has two parts. You have preachers and you have uh, pastors. What's the difference between a preacher and a pastor? Now, I, I really like preaching. This is preaching. I am giving a message. I'm trying to help you understand God's word. And if I do it right, you'll apply it to your life. And there may, may be some change in your life. And then after I do this, then I get in my car and I go home and I go on for the week. A pastor lives with you and he has to listen to your whining or complaining. Also, he's very compassionate and he sits with you. As, 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 you, as you suffer through, and he suffers through with you. Now, I, I, I honestly think that I, I understand. God has given me a gift to preach. Normally, people don't go to sleep when I preach. I'm not so sure he's given me the gift of pastoring. I've never been a pastor. I was a missionary, and I preached, and I taught, and things like that, but there's a very different thing. Now, you're looking for and you've got a pastoral search committee, I'm glad to hear, not a preaching search committee, because you want a pastor, you want a shepherd. And you need to be praying for that person and praying for yourself so that when he comes, you'll be ready to follow. It's kind of hard to lead if nobody follows. Now this morning as I preach, this is a different kind of thing, I'm going to preach, see that's one part of it, the other half is listening. So I'll do my part, I'll preach, you listen, respond when I ask questions, and then we should have a pretty good time here. But it doesn't do any good to preach if nobody listens, does it? Well, last week I was in Arizona at this time. It was a miserable 65 degrees and sunny, and, uh, but I put up with it. Next week at this time on Sunday, I'll be in Bogota, Colombia, the capital city. It'll be about 65 degrees, most likely rainy. That's kind of a dreary city, but that's where my in-laws live. I'm going down there on business, then I'll go on to Panama. And uh, I, should, I usually try to remember when I come back and I'm traveling and preaching to give you a little report on, on what it was like. It's a business trip. So I appreciate your prayers. I truly do. It may sound uh, really cool. Part of it is sitting in an airplane seat is not. Going through customs is not, uh, some of the other things are, so, but I appreciate your prayers. So we're going to continue this morning with a lesson about Abraham. Now, well, this is the third sermon in the series on Abraham. The first one's a step of faith. As Abraham stepped out of Ur of the Chaldees, God calls him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave this place, you know, I want you to leave your nice house, I want you to live in a tent, I want you to follow me. And he goes a thousand miles north to Haran. And he lives there until his father dies, and then he travels down into Canaan. And he really steps out on faith. Now, you're walking on faith. Now, it's a difficult time when a senior pastor leaves. He's been here many years, and you wonder, how is it all going to work out? And it just, it's a little, un, it's uncomfortable. 
and that's just the way it is. But Abraham stepped out in faith. Now, as soon as God called him to faith, then he sent a little test along, and Abraham, then we learned about his wavering faith, where a famine comes along, and Abraham says, whoops, uh, no food here in this promised land that God said I could have forever. I better go down into Egypt. And he comes up with a plan all on his own. He goes down into Egypt, messes things up horribly, and God sends him back out. He comes back up into the land of Canaan. He builds an altar. He comes back. There's an altar again. He's back in fellowship with God, which is exactly what you and I do. We walk with Christ. We get a little bit off to the side. We get involved in some kind of sin or some kind of rotten attitude that doesn't honor Christ. And then we stay there for a while and say, what am I doing here? And we, God calls us back. We come back. We come back into fellowship and just like Abraham did. Well, today we're going to talk about a costly faith. Sometimes your faith costs you things. Because God always promises us things, and then he tests us. So the first test, he, he, he promises Abraham, he says, I'll bless you there in the land, and then he sends a famine to see if Abraham really believed him. Because it's one thing to say, yep, mm -hmm, yep. That's like the man who had set up a, a rope across a river, and he had a wheelbarrow, and he had a sign. He said, and he walked across on the rope, he took the wheelbarrow across, and people were watching, he said, now how many of you think that I can put somebody in the wheelbarrow and take them across that rope. A bunch of people raised their hands. He said, okay, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Nobody wanted to get in the wheelbarrow. So it's easy to say that you believe God, but now you have to actually put some feet to it and actually do that. Abram fa failed that first test. Then God comes to him and he says, okay, Abram, uh, this land is yours. You come back into the land, you build your altar, you're here, Abram, that's good. Remember, this is your land. And right away, there's this problem with his nephew, Lot. There's this test. Whose land is it anyway? Well, he does it with you. He does it with me. He tests us. What are you being tested in now? So let's look at the story and see what we can learn. And I'll read sections of it as we go. Now, Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for the possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And so there's a problem. There's a conflict. Okay? How many of you have some conflict in your life? Would you raise your hand? Okay. All right. Now, how many of you are married? Would you raise your hand? All right. If you're married, you have conflict in your life. All right? If you have a relationship, if you're just in love, you have conflict in your life. You do. Uh, what are we going to have for lunch? That, that wonderful question that you ask your darling wife, guys. Where would you like to have lunch today? Why do you even ask that? Do they, does anybody here have a wife who says, I want to go to McDonald's? Every time. Don't ever ask me again. Uh, no. And so even those little things is conflict. We have conflict. We have much bigger conflicts in business. We have conflicts in the church. We have conflicts everywhere. Now, I brought a friend with me this morning. His name's Chad. He's sitting over here, Chad Simonton. And uh, so say hi to Chad afterwards. He uh, is a good friend. And as we walked in, we saw a little sign, didn't we, Chad? On the overhang said, caution. And uh, he chuckled, and he says, I'll bet that caused some conflict. I'll bet it did. So 
the conflict begins, and in churches we have conflict, and without belaboring the point, in churches, of course, you have everybody has their own idea of how things are supposed to be. <coughs> so they tell the story of a man who was uh, marooned on a desert island. And several years later, when they picked him up, he was showing the people around. And uh, they said, uh, and so they came, and here were three huts. So, well, that's interesting. And they said, well, what's this first hut here? And he said, well, that is my house. Oh, well, that's nice. And, uh, well, what's this second hut here? He says, oh, that's where I go to church. Well, I said, well, that's nice. Well, what is the third hut for? And he says, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> I don't think I need to say much more. I honestly think I could make a list of 25 reasons people leave churches, carry them around, and somebody could tell me something. Like, oh, that's number 14. Oh, that's number seven. They're always the same. They're always the same. But in, so Abraham has this problem, and this time he doesn't fail the test. What does he do? In verse 8, it says, So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, I will go to the right, or to the right, then I, I'll go to the left. Abraham immediately defers to Lot. Oh, we got a conflict here? Well, you just choose whatever you like. And uh, it's kind of silly that he did that. Abram had the title deed to the land. Now, some of you own your house, your home. Some of you are in the process of owning your home. But if you own it and you have the title deed and your neighbor comes and says, I want your house, none of you are going to say, oh, well, here's the title. Sure, go ahead. I'll sign it right over to you. But basically, that's what Abram does with his nephew. Abraham or Lot, you just choose whatever you like. And so Abraham gives up his rights and trusts God. Didn't forget this time. God said, Abraham, this is yours. Lot, you want some land? Go ahead and take it. God said, it's mine. You can have it. I don't care. Figure it out. So Lot goes ahead and chooses. And in verse 10, it says, Now Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they were separated from each other. Problem was solved. But you see, Abraham deferred to God or to, and to Lot. Lot defers to greed. He takes a look around and he says, that looks pretty good there to me. That looks pretty good. Now, it was interesting, and two weeks ago I said, there's always a cost when we walk in sin. You never get away with it. Abraham wandered down into Egypt when there was a famine. He didn't ask God if he should go. He just said, well, I'll go down there. It sounds like it's my plan. That's Abe's plan. It wasn't God's plan, but it was Abe's plan. You have your own plan. So he wandered down there. He gets all this stuff, comes back. Looks like he gets out fine. But we said a couple of things. Lot didn't get out free. Lot got some Egypt in his blood. Right there in the verse says, a Lot looked around and said, that stuff down there, that looks like that good land we had down in Egypt. I'll take that consequence. Abraham also picked up a gal named Hagar when he was down there, which is going to cause him innumerable hours of grief later in his life. But Lot got a little Egypt in his blood. 
See, that's the problem when we wander in sin. It kind of sticks to us. Some, I, I walked in the door, and there was a little gal, and she had a painted face this morning. And there you are. You have a very nice painted face. That's kind of stuck on there. You, is that going to come off? It will. Okay. That's stuff. You know, that's from yesterday. And stuff, isn't that amazing? That's how that, that it works when we go somewhere. So then it says Lot chose for himself. Well, Lot chose tragedy in his life. Now, another day we'll talk more about him. Tragedy in his life. When we choose for ourselves, some of us end up with terrible marriages, terrible business partnerships, terrible addictions, because we choose for ourselves. In fact, if you have your Bible, and if you are an underliner, please underline those words in your Bible. I would say they are four of the worst words in the Bible. Lot chose for himself. Don't do that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I have done that. I have paid horrible prices. Don't do it. Those four words are four terrible words in Scripture. Lot chose for himself. Now we'll go back to them. Now what did he choose when he chose for himself? It looked pretty good. If you read more of the story, another part, he chose opportunity. Sometimes we choose things not because it's God-honoring, but because, well, that's a good opportunity. He chose prestige. It made him look good. He later on sat at the gate there. He was probably a judge down there in, in Sodom. He got a nice position. He got a nice house. He's back in the house like he was in Ur. Kind of looked like he was, he was making the right decisions, and no, poor old Abraham was still wandering around in his tent eating rocks. So who was better off? But what did Lot lose? That's what he got. As we read Lot's story, we'll find that Lot lost his testimony. When the chips are down, he offers his daughters, his prostitutes, his sons-in-law. When Lot said, oh, we need to escape, God is calling us out. His reputation was so bad, his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Now, all of you probably know somebody who is just the worst sinner you can imagine. Remember back when you were in high school, some of you were still there, the person that was just the worst. Have them come up to you and say, you know, you really need to obey the Ten Commandments. Have the town drunk come up to you Staggering drunk, hold on to you, kind of sloppy and say, you know, you really shouldn't drink so much. What, what would you say? It doesn't make sense. So Lot lost it. He lost his relationship with God. There was no altar in Sodom, if you notice. They're talking about building altars in Sodom. He lost his wife. She turned into a pillar of salt. He lost his character. He ends up in a cave committing incest with his daughters. It's about as low as you can go, and you can trace it back to four words. Lot chose for himself. Don't do it. They tell the story of a contractor who was uh, supposed to submit his bid 
and he walked into the office where he was supposed to submit it and no one was around and on the desk was a contract from his number one competitor. And uh, the only problem was, and he could almost see the amount on there, but there was a can of Coke sitting on there. And he looked around, he looked around, he thought, I'll just move it quick and see. And he picked up the can of Coke and a thousand BBs spilled out of the bottom of the can. It was a trap. All over the floor, he just set it down, walked out, never submitted his contract. Because your sin does find you out. Which takes us to something called the law of unintended consequences. The law of unintended consequence is a law that applies to all people everywhere at all times. I do not care if you are a believer, an unbeliever, a Muslim, a Jew, a Hindu. It doesn't matter. You do something and consequences come. Some you like, some you don't like. You buy a car. The car is a lemon. The car does not start. The car needs a new battery. You begin to pay money out. The car, and you say, I don't want these consequences. You got them. You get married. And you say, oh, let's have a baby. They're so cute. And you have a baby. And it cries all night and pukes on you. Those are unintended consequences. But you still love the baby. You decide to tell a lie. And the lie bites you. Unintended consequences. I have a son. The day before this happened, I said to him, I knew he was going down the wrong road. I mean, like, you know, what is it? We all dumb or something? We can't see what they're doing. We know. And I said, um, buddy, let me tell you about this law of unintended consequences. When it happens, you can't stop it. I want you to please listen to the guidance that I've given you. Please do not do these things. We were talking specifically about drinking, which is dumb in and of itself. I'll tell you about that. I can, tell, I can talk about that all day if you want to. But drinking and driving, of course, has tremendous consequences. Now, next morning, wake up. Whoop, didn't come home. Whoop, no car out there. I have a missed call. Who was the missed call from? It was from the sheriff's office. Mom said, what are we going to do? I said, I'm not going to do anything. Sooner or later, they'll call. He did. So I went and picked him up. And... Uh, I actually, God was very gracious, very gracious to him. He was very kind to me. And uh, because I, I didn't uncork on him, he got in the car. He was very quiet. He didn't look very good. And I said, um, did you have a nice time? <laughs> nope. Would you like to do that again? Nope. So we drove home. 
And about halfway there, he said, you remember what you were talking about, unintended consequences? I said, yes, I do. He got it. And it was wonderful because he would go in this way, and that day he took a hard right corner and went that away. Do you want to wait for that? The law of unintended consequences. Lot chose respectable sin. Now, there are sins of the flesh, which we generally uh, refer to them as disrespectful, you know, being dr drunk publicly, cheating on your husband, cheating on your wife, doing those things. Those where you say, oh, oh, oh terrible. But, but then we got these respectable sins like greed and covetousness. I hate to tell you, but uh, the United States kind of functions on these. We say, do not covet what your neighbor has, yet Walmart says, look at what your neighbor has. You can have it, too. You can have it on credit. You can buy it right now, whatever it is. And you know the story. He who dies with the most toys for guys wins. You know, that's the whole goal. So we, we, we want people to covet and want. And uh, they go down that road. So Americans tend to love those sins. And, uh, hey, that's no problem, but it is a problem. Money makes some promises. Made some promises to Lot. It'll make them to you. It says, I'll be with you. I'll comfort you. I'll give you joy. At the end, it really doesn't. You know that. A hundred stories of rich people that are miserable. Um, Lot chose for himself. Okay? Are you choosing for yourself? Am I choosing for myself? Don't do it. In Genesis chapter 13, and at, at, at verse 12, it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked, and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. God comes to Abraham, who is patiently waiting, and he says, Abram, lift up your eyes. God lifted up Abraham's eyes. God chose for Abraham. Abraham chose to be dependent, humble, to serve. He's lived as a nomad. He lived in a tent. God lifted up his, or no, Lot lifted up his own eyes. Abraham lifted up, God lifted up Abraham's eyes. One took, one received. It's all about the heart. Your heart, my heart. It's not what you see on the outside. What are you going to do? Abraham was probably an old geezer who slobbered. And yet his heart was perfect before the Lord. And there he, there he was and he waited. And so God said, you see all of this? That included where Lot was living, by the way. Uh, this is all yours. Okay, Lord. I'll take it. Abraham uh, got blessing, blessing, blessing. He got geographical blessings, numerical blessings, durational blessings, experiential blessings. Abraham is honored all around the world. Today, he is a father of three religions. And if you read verse 18, it says, Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So Lot ends, the only pillar Lot ended up with was his wife being a pillar of salt. Lot ends up with nothing. Abraham ends up, ends up with everything because of how they chose. Um, what would you like on your tombstone? You ever thought about that? Anybody got it picked out? I bet some of you already do. Have it bought, don't you? It's already out there. Your name's not on there. Well, the name's probably on there, too, but no date. 
I remember when we moved back here, my wife's from Columbia, and uh, she saw that. She said, that is insane. Who would buy a tombstone ahead of time? I said, well, about 300 million Americans try to do it. You know, get ahead of the game. You got to pay. Get your money out there. And, uh, but what, what would you like on your tombstone? Thought about it? Anybody here thought about it? No? I told you I was sick. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. I saw, I saw one the other day that had uh, a recipe for sugar cookies on the back. And it, yeah, my mother said over her dead body she'd give this out. So here it is. <laughs> um, how do you want to be remembered? Just a name. You know, my, my, my father says uh, loving husband, father. That's good. Um, wh wh how do you... You know, what, what do you do? We look at Abraham, and we remember him this way, and we look at Lot, and we say, oh, my goodness, and I want to end up like Lot. What do you want on yours? In England, the story goes that there is a uh, tombstone there, and it says this, and it's, this is from memory, so I hope I get it right. It says, pause, sinner, as you pass me by. As I am, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So turn to Christ and follow me. So prepare yourself and follow me. And somebody had scratched underneath and, and had written, until I know which way you went, I'm not going to follow you. Who are you following? Are you going to follow Jesus? Or are you going to, are you going to make your own decisions? That's where it real rolls down to. So a couple of lessons for life out of this story. Here's num <coughs> number one. Beware of choosing for yourself. Beware of choosing for yourself. Lot chose for himself. Lot's eyes saw stuff in Egypt that he couldn't unsee. You be careful of your eyes. You can't unlook. Once you've seen something, you can't you say, oh, I didn't want to see that. Well, you saw it. You can't not see it anymore. Lot lifted up his eyes, whereas God lifted up Abe's eyes. How many of you, when you were little, remember that song? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Can you raise your hand if you know that song? Yeah. Oh, man, even some of the younger than that. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. What they didn't tell us when we were kids is you can't unlook. You can't unsee. Once you've seen it, it sticks in there. Be careful of choosing for yourself. And the second one is this. Be aware of the law of unintended consequences. Be aware. The choices that we make today will determine who we are tomorrow. You can say it for young people, you can say it for old people, I don't care who you are, those choices will determine who you are tomorrow. They affect you. We never expect the results of our sin. We think we'll get away with a lie, we think we'll get away with cheating, we think we'll get away with sneaking a little bit of this, sneaking a little bit of that. That doesn't happen. It comes back to bite us. I remember at a particularly dark time in my own life, 
I was actually at a conference where the speaker was Steve Saint. Some of you probably know who he is. And uh, in talking with Steve, he said yes. And he himself has experienced a lot of pain in his life, said, I know these chapters of your life look pretty miserable, but if you'll let God write the rest of your book, you'll love the ending. So I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care where you are in your misery. I don't care where you are in your dumb choices or choosing for yourself. Today can be the first day of a new life where you let God write the ending of that book. And it can be an amazing thing. There is a, another song that uh, is well known, and I'll bet many of you have sung it, a good old song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. The next line is so important, no turning back. And to turn back, you see, first you've got to look back. Don't look back. Follow Jesus. Beware of choosing for yourself and be aware of the law of unintended consequences and walk in faith and follow the Savior all the way home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for Abraham and his passing of this test and Lord, for that he waited. Help us to wait so that you will lift up our eyes and you will show us the path, path you have for us. Lord, help us to be aware of that law of unintended consequences, to be aware of the cost that awaits us if we don't follow you. Lord, we give you the honor and the glory. We ask that you will help us to walk well and follow you all the days of our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name.